the story that we get told about male sexuality is just like, it's very simple. And the peak male sexual experience is ejaculation. This little five second sticky white crotch sneeze. That's kind of all we're taught. So all that lends itself to being like, eh, male sexuality is just pretty uncomplicated. It's just this thing. And it's just easy to be gratified. Pleasure, at least in my opinion, is a lot more layered. There's a lot more to the experience of pleasure than there is to just simply gratification. So gratification is very genital oriented. Pleasure in my observation and experience is a lot more full body. I'm Emily Goff, a human connection coach, speaker, and mental health advocate with an insatiable sense of curiosity and adventure, always asking more questions and using the power of stories to teach, learn, and grow. It's about allowing for room to grow, and this podcast focuses on three main pillars, human connection, personal growth, and freedom. We cover topics like relationships and cultivating genuine supportive connections with ourselves and others, speaking your truth, shattering personal barriers, radical self-acceptance, and courageously leaning into your skill sets. Whether it's a solo episode or bringing on highly curated guests with incredible stories, experiences, and expertise to share, we're leaning in and taking the entire idea of growth to the next level, all while still covering the uncomfortable topics that many of us like to avoid. There's always more room to grow. Let's do this. Hey there, welcome back to the Room to Grow podcast. And today we have a very special guest. They're all so special, truly. I just get the best guests on this podcast, but this one was so much fun. We are talking to Cam Fraser. And Cam came highly, highly recommended to me by multiple sources when I started putting my feelers out because I wanted to connect with someone who specialized in men's sexuality. And Cam lives up to the hype. He is an absolute genius at what he does. And he's a certified professional sex coach, certified sexologist, registered counselor, and a registered tantric yoga teacher. And his work integrates scientifically validated, medically accurate information about sexual health, which is so important, with sacred sexuality teachings from the mystery traditions. And as a coach, he helps men go beyond surface-level sex and into full-bodied, self-expressed, pleasure-oriented sexual experiences that are free of anxiety or shame. Cam also teaches women, so speaking heterosexually, teaches women about men's sexual health as well. And today we're getting into all the myths around men's male sexuality. Not all of them, because that would take many more podcast episodes. We may need to bring Cam back on because I felt like we just barely scratched the surface on this. But we're going to be getting into a, a really some powerful discussions. This was such a beautiful conversation. We're talking about the, the really incredible curiosity and exploration that can be introduced to sex and expanding your definition of sex beyond specific acts or only penetration. We're talking about how to create safety for men to open up more vulnerably emotionally, uh, breaking apart the idea that men only want emotionless sex and that they hate foreplay and cuddling. Yes, there is science to back this up, ladies, (laughs) that they do not actually hate foreplay and cuddling as much as uh, a lot of, of women can sometimes feel like they do. We're talking about pleasure versus gratification, and we're getting into a whole discussion around who is responsible for your own pleasure, too. This was really, really fascinating. Cam has some really unique perspectives that I'm so excited to share with you. So let's get going on this. I am so excited to have the incredible Cam Fraser. And I was just telling Cam before we jumped on that I went to several different people in my circle, uh, many of whom are like sex experts, because I was like, who is the guy that is male sexuality 
oriented, like he is the guy to go to for male sexuality. And I was looking for plural names and I kept getting yours. I only got Cam Fraser's from everyone. I'm like, okay, there's clearly something to this guy. And I can see why, because Cam, you were just, I, I think that you're an absolute wealth of information. I think that your work is so incredibly needed. And I love your perspectives that, that we're going to uh, just scratch the surface on today, but I'm really excited to dive into this with you. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me on. And, and what a lovely um, acknowledgement as well of, um, of yeah, the work that I'm, I'm doing. I really appreciate you saying that. So thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. It's so deserved because you, you just, and you do a huge amount of work too. Like you, you always are coming out with new info. It's always rock solid. You have the science to back it up. Um, all the, the personal experience you've worked with so many men and women too. So tell us a little bit about you. How did you get into this work? Like what, what an interesting topic and, and speciality as well. Um, uh, what kind of drew you to that? And then also, actually, we should also probably preface, uh, and, and you can talk to this as well about this will probably direct, be directed mostly towards, um, men who sleep with women and vice versa. So a little bit more heteronormative it's simply just the majority of your audience is is that uh is that correct yeah so i specifically work with cis het white men for the most part the reason why is because that's what i that's my lived experience and i tend to speak about things really from a way that's informed by my own lived experience um, and so that kind of feeds into your first question which is like why am i doing this work and it's really because i've gone on a journey of my own sexuality um and understanding that as well as like my masculinity and really unpacking that and that i guess like started maybe what am i 27 28 now so it must have been like you know almost 15 years ago um where i was you know uh i, I suppose like you know some some highlights or yeah you know, of my life in the last like 15 years was like I was um you know I, I'm I'm heterosexual but I was bullied in high school for being perceived to be gay um that's something that was like foundational and like me unpacking my sexuality um and so because of the bullying that I received um I bullied as well like I I remember bullying other boys who are more maybe quote-unquote effeminate than I was um bullying them for quote-unquote being gay as well um, and it's something that, you know, I still, I'm still doing unpacking myself and, um, and I do a lot of work with, with, um, other straight dudes around like internalized homophobia. Um, I, uh, as a, as a kind of older teen, um, was experiencing a lot of, um, like I was watching a lot of porn. I was just experiencing a lot of like disconnected sex, not only with myself, right. Sex, solo sex, masturbation, but also disconnected sex with my partners, um, really trying to follow the script that I saw in the porn that I was watching and having really shitty, shitty sex. And um, I was really anxious about who I was as a young man as well. Like I was trying to fit in um, with the, I was an athlete, I was a student athlete as well in my um, college days. So I, uh, you know, I, I was trying to be this, this like type of, you know, jock personality, which really didn't align with who I was authentically. And so I was really pretending, putting on a mask with regards to my masculinity. Um, and so that caused a lot of anxiety with me about quote unquote, being a man. And if I stepped outside of that and did anything that wasn't perceived as manly by this kind of group of men that I was hanging out with or young men, um, I get ostracized and, and kind of you know, bullied for that, I suppose. Um, and so that translated then into the performance anxiety that I had when I was being sexual. And, and that manifested as like a lot of tension in my body and, um, that resulted in things like ejaculating quite quickly. Um, I probably wouldn't 
you know, diagnosed myself with premature ejaculation from the from where I'm at now, but I definitely was coming quicker than I wanted to. Um, I was uh, struggling with erection issues as well. And uh, because I was like really disconnected from my own experience, I was drinking quite a lot as a, as a teenager and as, as someone um, you know, who was in college, it was just kind of part of my persona. I was like the, I went to a college in America. So I was part, I was like this Australian guy in America who was just drinking a lot um, as part of like my you know, Australian kind of identity. Um, and so a lot of the sex that I have probably for a period of about four years, all the sex that I had was under the influence. I didn't have sex sober probably once for about four years. Um, and, and so that caused, you know, some issues as well. Um, and then in amongst all that as well, I, um, I seriously injured my back, actually fractured my lower spine. Um, and so I had to do clinical rehabilitation. Um, I was introduced to like Pilates and massage therapists and the, that was kind of like the um, the turning point for me in terms of like this really kind of quote unquote negative space that I was in with regards to uh, you know sexuality and masculinity and, and the way that I was showing up in the world. And um, yeah, it was through through rehabilitation for my back that I was you know that I just slowed down and that I listened to my body and I realized like how much tension I was holding in my body like physically somatically, you know how tight my muscles were and how much like stress I was holding on to um, at a physical level and um and there were times through like through a Pilates class where I would um just burst out into tears just like doing a particular you know stretch for my lower back and all of a sudden these just tears would come up out of nowhere and I, I you know couldn't stop them from flowing I remember times during a yoga class as well um trying to hold a posture that was like kind of a bit sore and um just feeling all of this like Firstly, like started as frustration that I couldn't hold this particular posture. I felt quite weak, um, physically weak. But then that frustration would just like boil over into like this really disproportionate rage and anger that I had that I hadn't really expressed. Um, and so that came up and I would just feel like so, you know, so like just fuming. Um, and I, I, so I, at the time, my approach to this was like, um, fuck, I can't let my mates know that I'm crying in yoga class. You know, I can't let my mates know that I'm getting so angry at this bloody, you know, posture um, in Pilates. Uh, and so I was like, I go to go see a counsellor about this. And so at the time, you know, I, I started seeing a counsellor, but I don't want to give the impression that I saw a counsellor because I was like, I need to do the work. I need to like work on myself. I need to go on this journey. My mentality at the time as this young dude was like, I've got to do this and my mates don't find out, right? Um, so still very much concerned about the image that I was being perceived as um, as a young man uh, but very quickly I realized that um, that's the reason why I was doing it you know and then I could, and then the, the switch came and I, I started working on like just these stories like I did a lot of narrative therapy with my counselor um, who referred me to a psychologist as well and just started like unpacking my stories around masculinity my stories around sexuality my stories about being like a sexual man where those kind of two things masculinity and sexuality um, kind of uh, intersect I suppose and um yeah, just started realizing like all this shit about like why I was doing things. Like it was a lot of, I was, you know, I was, I say this quite a lot, but I was shooting myself. You know, I, I should be this, I should do this. My sex should look like that. Uh, and so, yeah, just went on, went on this journey. Um, I suppose of like introspection and, and yeah, personal development. And uh, I was studying psychology at the time uh, at university. And so I then, you know, all the, all the papers that I wrote for my psychology degree just ended up being about like masculinity and sexuality. Cause that was like really, 
relevant to me personally. And I was like, oh, this is just so interesting to me. Um, I started buying books. I've got like, I'm just here, I've got like books on sex therapy now on my desk in front of me. But um, you know, at the time I was buying books on, you know, sexuality and and you know, how to be a better lover and things like that. And um, it just like really started to intrigue me. And so, uh, and I, I was, could have always been interested in sex as a young man. You know, most young men are interested in sex. And so I started like reading up a bit more about it. Uh, and I became like, you know, I had a, like my little library there in my little dorm room and, and I became like the go-to guy for my mates to come and like get a book on like squirting or get a book on like fingering or whatever it was. And um, I just had like this little collection. So that kind of like was the light bulb moment for me to be like, oh, this is something I could probably do, right? It was like, you know, and I, I originally wanted to be like, like a clinical sex therapist. And, and so I studied counseling and um, got a diploma in, in um, uh, sexology here in Australia. Uh, and then kind of quickly realized that the talk therapy side of things is is great and powerful, but it's also quite limiting. Um, and I had a background in, you know, I, I started as a yoga student. I then went and did yoga teaching. Uh, and then I also became a, like a massage therapist as well. Uh, and then I went and did some like, you know, spirituality, some tantra, sacred sexuality type stuff as well. And, and so I had all this other stuff that counseling and talk therapy wouldn't really allow me to draw on. So I was looking at like, what else is there that I can do? Um, but still like is educating and, and working with people in the realms of sexuality. And I, I realized that coaching was a thing, um, particularly sex coaching. Uh, and so to, to, to sum up a, a long story, I suppose, I, I became a men's sex coach. There's a lot of like iterations in between there. Um, I used to have like long hair and a big beard and wore mala beads and flowing shirts. And it's very much the what I thought a sex coach is supposed to look like, a male sex coach is supposed to look like, which is the sexual guru, tantra guy, which again, me trying to fit in. It's been a bit of a story of my life is like trying to not be the outsider, not be the ostracized person. Um, but yeah, I, so I went through an iteration of that and then realized that doesn't feel authentic to me. That's not really genuine. Um, and so I, I, I now lean more towards like the academic side of things, a bit more evidence-based. Um, you know, I try and blend kind of Western medicine and, and, you know, sexual research with some you know, the, the mystery traditions, right? So esoteric teachings uh, and try and bring those two things together because I think there's like a really beautiful overlap. Uh, and yeah, and I speak to my younger self, essentially. That's the reason you know, to kind of circle everything back together. The reason why the people that I work with are my demographic, right? Cishet white dudes is because I really am trying to speak to myself 10, 12, 15 years ago and the stuff that I really needed to hear at that time. Um, so all the, all the posts and stuff that I do are really for me um, at some level, uh, and so because of that, they tend to resonate with the particular demographic that I, I am. Uh, so, yeah, so that, that's kind of in a nutshell how I got into this work, why I got into this work and um, who my work is for. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for, for sharing all of that. There's, there's so much involved with the whole idea of, of male sexuality and that is often unexplored because the focus is, is often put a little bit more on women or if we're talking about men, it tends to often be more of the issues around male sexuality as opposed to like the pleasure. Actually, I would love um, for you to explain the difference between pleasure and gratification, because I know you've talked about that. And I think that's a really important differentiation. Um, and well, okay. So let, let's start there. Cause I don't, I can sometimes get excited and then ask six questions and then not give you a chance to answer. So, <laughs> so we'll start with the difference between pleasure and gratification and then we'll go from there. <laughs> Sure, sure. So, um, so yeah, as you as you kind of pointed out, I I personally believe there's a difference between pleasure and gratification, and um, start with gratification first. So, like 
men are, at least in my observation and in my personal experience, men are very good at gratification. We're very good at being sexually gratified. And what I mean by that in a practical sense is like guys will find a stroke for their masturbation and they'll just go through the motions and they'll get to, to an ejaculation and it's, you know, won't be super meaningful for them. There won't be, it won't be a big event for them. It won't be like really in depth. They're just like get that little squirt of dopamine and, and they're really good at, at doing that. Same thing goes for sex as well. A lot of guys are very good, very good at just like kind of thrusting away, pumping away, getting to an ejaculation and feeling, you know, relatively okay about it and just being like, yep, that was great. And, and the, the reason why we're really good at that is because that's how male sexuality is often presented to us. And that's what we kind of learn as well. No one's really, you know, I mean, I am, but no one else is really like from when I was younger talking about male sexuality in a really expanded, um, multifaceted way. The story that we get told about male sexuality is just like, it's very simple. It's very straightforward. It's very linear. And the peak male sexual experience is ejaculation. This little five second sticky white crotch sneeze. That's kind of all we're taught about male sexuality. So all that lends itself to being like, eh, male sexuality is just pretty uncomplicated. It's just this thing. Um, and it's just easy to be gratified. Uh, and so uh, there's uh, there's more reasons to this, but I'll, I'll speak about you know the, the difference between that and pleasure now. So pleasure, at least in my opinion, is a lot more um, diverse. It's a lot more layered. There's a lot more to the experience of pleasure than there is to just simply gratification. So gratification is very genital oriented. Pleasure in my observation and experience is a lot more full bodied. It's a lot, um, it's a lot more meaningful. There's a lot more elements to pleasure as well. Maybe there's a spiritual element. Maybe there's a physical element. Maybe there's an emotional element. Maybe there's a relational element. There's all these other things that kind of get drawn into to pleasure. And it's not necessarily explicitly sexual as well. There's sensual pleasure. There's erotic pleasure. There's like the pleasure of, of um, the senses, right? Of, of seeing something, of smelling something, of eating something and, and tasting it and hearing it or touching it. Um, and so pleasure is a lot more, um, at least in my you know, opinion is a lot more full-bodied in that sense. Gratification tends to be very simple and genital-oriented. Pleasure, pleasure is a lot more full-bodied if we're talking practically here. Uh, and so a lot of guys, when it comes to their experience of pleasure, are, um, I would say, almost afraid of pleasure at some, some level. Like there's this fear that men have, whether they're acknowledging it or not, that um, experiencing too much pleasure is seen as like, feminine thing and it's like not masculine to experience pleasure i know there's men's coaches out there that specifically say pleasure is weakness um and so like there's this story then that like pleasure is wrong right and that's a pretty strong narrative that we have societally to experience pleasure um but then also like pleasure is not masculine um so a lot of guys feel like there's this uh, they should be you know not experiencing pleasure they should just kind of be like getting the job done and, and being kind of goal oriented and stuff whereas pleasure for pleasure's sake is like there is no goal there. It's just to like rest and enjoy and experience and to be in the moment. Um, and so like when it comes to, um, so when it comes to talking about sex, like I've been in a lot of, you know, like I was saying before, I'm a, I'm a, I was a college athlete and I've talked to a lot of men in, in, in groups and the way that men talk about their sexual experience as well, uh, this is kind of slowly changing as I kind of curate more groups in my life where men are more open, but for the most part, historically throughout my life, there's been you know, a conversation around sex. It's been very surface level, very superficial, right? It's, the guys will, will often talk about like, just like how, you know, 
like almost like diminishing their own experience of sex. It's like how big of an ejaculation they had or like how long they lasted or like how many orgasms they gave their partner. And it's like never, and like I said, that's changing now, but like historically I've never really heard guys when they're talking to other men about their experience of pleasure, really talk about pleasure, right? They've never really said like, Hey, I, I experienced this like full body experience. It was like really, you know, sensual and erotic and it made me feel this and it opened up my, my heart or, you know, whatever it is, there's, there's not a lot of conversations that men are having with other men where the, where the priority is pleasure. The, the, the priority is always like, yeah, I just busted a nut. Essentially. That's what guys are, are talking to one another. So, um, and so that's like juxtaposed to like the way that we talk about women's sexuality or female sexuality, which is like, it's very like, the stereotype is it's very complicated. It's, you know, women are, are capable of having multiple orgasms. Like it's, and so we see this like discrepancy of, okay, male sexuality being this like really simple, boring thing and female sexuality being this really complex, uh, multifaceted thing. Um, and so that lends itself to then guys going, well, my pleasure is not really that important. My gratification is, but my pleasure isn't because, you know, guys aren't supposed to experience pleasure. They're supposed to just get their rocks off. Um, but, you know, but her pleasure is important. And so the something I've, I've said on social media a few times and people have like had a bit of issue with it is I think men are more interested in their partner's pleasure than men are interested in their own pleasure, right? And, and the caveat there is the first caveat is, you know, guys don't understand pleasure. They understand gratification, right, for themselves. And that's, that's what they experience. They don't experience a lot of pleasure. They experience a lot of, you know, just simple gratification. And the other caveat here is a lot of guys aren't necessarily interested in their partner's authentic, genuine pleasure, right? Because they, if they would, they'd be having conversations. We wouldn't see this orgasm gap, but there'd be a lot more conversations around sex and pleasure between heterosexual couples. But guys are more interested, I suppose, in like the perceived pleasure of their female partners. Um, like, did she look like she was enjoying herself? Did she... Um, make the right sounds? Did she you know, have an orgasm? Uh, and so a lot of women I've spoken to feel a lot of pressure from their male partners in order to look like they're enjoying themselves. And it's one of the main reasons, at least I think that women will, will fake orgasms or, or fake the pleasure they're experiencing or, or exaggerated, I suppose, as well, is because a lot of guys feel like it's like the only pleasure that they can experience is kind of vicariously through their female partner. Um, because that's the kind of dynamic that's been set up for a lot of heterosexual couples. Um, and so that, I think, dynamic needs to be pulled apart and re-examined. And, and I often say to guys, like, and, and couples in general, like, if you as a guy can experience more pleasure and you can, like, go deeper with your experience of sex and, and masturbation uh, and, and switch from gratification to pleasure in an authentic, genuine way, your female partner, the, the woman who you're, you know, in a relationship with sexually or romantically, is going to experience more genuine authentic pleasure as well if you can open yourself up personally to more pleasure and be more attuned to that you're going to help create that space for your partner as well and and that's a two-way street as well if, if you know a woman in that heterosexual relationship is like able to open herself up to more genuine pleasure and and explore that when she's by herself she's by proxy going to be able to help her partner experience more of that and so that's one of the ways that i get guys invested in sexuality work is um by saying 
by kind of tapping into this idea that like their partner's pleasure is more important than their own. I kind of play on that a little bit. And I say like, hey, don't do this for you, do this for her. Uh, and then by by virtue of kind of like starting that ball rolling, then we kind of slowly bring it back to, okay, you're doing this for you and to connect back into your body and to connect back to your own sexuality. But I kind of use that story to my advantage a little bit and um, and kind of play on it and then, and then reframe it for them a bit later down the track. But that was a lot. So hopefully that made sense to people that were listening. No, that was awesome. No, that was totally awesome. It, it's interesting too, because I've, I've read, uh, I've read some articles. Um, I think there was actually a study done about how women tend to have almost like a triple, I can't remember how they phrased it, but it's like triple responsibility more or less when it comes to sex, where it's like, they're responsible for their own orgasm. They're responsible for their partner's orgasm. And they're also responsible for kind of making sure that they're, that they're, this is talking about again, like heterosexual relationships that their male partner also feels like he kind of like performed well too. And, and it's just sort of this management that goes on that then tends to make it harder for them to have an orgasm in the first place, obviously. But there's just so many layers to this because we could also, I'd love to talk to you more too about um, just this whole idea about, I think that, that men can get written off as just very simple. Like, oh, men are simple. Women are complicated. Um, men are, are like nothing but visual creatures and they just want nothing more than to just like fucking go out the door, like just totally emotionless sex and stuff. And you and I were talking before we got on about how sex is inherently incredibly vulnerable. Like, even if you've been with somebody for 20 years, you are, you are stripping down naked, both literally and metaphorically with somebody and allowing someone to see you in that state, hopefully, you know, metaphorically, like we were saying before too, because then that should, you know, lead to, not should, we don't like the word should around here. I <laughs> said, so no, you said too, but like hopefully lead to greater pleasure and uh, a better experience for both of you. So I'd love to get into that a little bit more with you too. And some of the layers that we can kind of unpack around that, because there's so many myths here. There's so many myths. Yeah. Yeah. I am. Um, as you were saying that I was kind of thinking like, you know, getting like you were saying stripping down getting naked literally physically in 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 front of someone and i was kind of like thinking you know if if that wasn't a vulnerable thing to do why aren't we just stripping down naked all the time you know like why aren't we just like getting naked in front of you know people if it was if it was just this non-emotional thing this non-vulnerable thing why wouldn't we just be you know naked all the time so yeah yeah it's definitely a vulnerable thing to do right to to literally be you know to to kind of bear yourself in front of another person and um to be and seen. I think, um, yeah, like, I, I, yeah. This is this is probably not the greatest reference, but I think it was Freud who said that the sexual self is the essential self, right? And who you are when you're fucking is who you are, like in, in at your core. And um, and so I think like this this disconnection from you know your your core or who you are and who you inextric like this intrinsic part of yourself. If you try and divorce yourself from that when you're having sex, of course the sex is probably going to be shitty right like if you're not bringing yourself to that experience and you're actively trying to take the emotion out of sex which i think a lot of guys try to do because that's what they think is they're supposed to do as men is that we're supposed to just be these physical beings we're supposed to only just want to get our rocks off and not have any strings attached right and it's supposed to be emotionless right this is where the shooting comes in like a lot of guys think sex should be like that for them um because that's what they hear from a, a good portion of you know, pretty toxic, I would say, men's coaches is that like sex is just for for, for gratification, right? That feeds into that gratification story. Um, and so 
like we know that that's not true. We we know from from you know I I mean I know this anecdotally from speaking to a lot of men that they want more meaningful sex, that they want more emotional sex, they want to feel more connected to their partner, that they want to feel more intimate, that they want to feel desired as well, that they want their partner to want them. That's a big part of male sexuality as well. And we I you know I know that like I said anecdotally, but we know that from from surveys of men as well. There's a great book. Um, with a lot of research in it from uh, a lady called, uh, her name's Sarah Hunter-Murray, and she's got a book called Not Always in the Mood. It's a fantastic book because there's so much incredible research that she cites. And um, and so like this, this idea that male sexuality is like really uh, uncomplicated and, and simple, I think is doing a disservice not only to men, but also to the women that these men are being sexual with. And, um, and so like, what I really encourage, like if I'm giving a practical suggestion here, is for like guys to start um, noticing what it is that they feel emotionally from the sex that they're having, or even from like the, the sex they're having with themselves as well. Like starting to pay attention to any feelings that arise, and not only physical feelings, but just like you know, like emotional feelings as well. Like, is there a is there a sense of shame that comes up from your sexual experience? Is there a sense of, um, you know, romance that comes up? Do you feel really like romantic or is there a sense of like, um, I mean, I spoke about fear before, but it maybe is, is there a sense of like excitement and anticipation that comes from that sexual experience? Is there a sense of like thrill that comes? Is there a sense of power that comes as well? Or is there a sense of like, um, God, who knows? Like it could be, could be anything. There's so many other things that kind of, make up a sexual experience but when we close and close ourselves off to that as as men we're 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 diminishing what that sex could be um i don't know if i've gone on on a bit of a tangent here um but like the uh the the um yeah the the inquiry that i um encourage like couples to have as well when they're when they're starting to to think about their sex life is like what else do you want to get from sex like yeah sex is supposed to be pleasurable of course like that is a no-brainer for me um but what else do you want in addition to that pleasure like do you want to feel really loved and intimate with your partner do you want to feel really um like or do you want to feel taken and ravished by your partner do you want to feel uh really um you know inspired and like excited about your partner like I kind of think of this as like a, a movie, right? Like what type of movie do you, do you guys want to watch? And it's like, do you want to watch a romance movie? Do you want to watch a horror movie? Do you want to watch an action excitement movie? Like think of sex as like a genre of movie and what type of genre of sex do you want to have, right? Because sex can, can be all those things. It's like pleasurable, sure, but it's pleasurable and something else. Like watching a movie is pleasurable. If it's a good movie, regardless of the genre, it's going to be pleasurable to watch, but the genre is also important. Um, and so I kind of think about, yeah, being being the star of your partner's movie, right? Um, and um, and that's a really really um, useful analogy for me, anyway, and the, and the people that I've worked with. So, yeah, I don't know if I, I think I went on a bit of a tangent. I actually forgot what the original question was, but I just as things were coming to me, I wanted to to say them. No, no, I love that. That yeah, no, you. I think you did a really great job there because I, the, one of the points you made that I really want to underscore is that men want to feel desired mm. because women. We, we want to feel desired, but I think sometimes women can often forget that men need that too. And just telling them, you know, like, Hey, you look hot today or you look good, or it doesn't have to be about physical appearance. Like just 
letting, but letting them know that you, you want them like that. You're super into them. I think sometimes we forget that men need that as well. And, and that's a really important reminder for a lot of people. Like if you're, if you're partnered, um, or if you are looking to get into a relationship, maybe you're dating or something, I think that's a really good reminder for anybody to, whether you've been with your partner forever or whether you're just like starting to look for a partner, it, let them know if you're, it needs to be genuine, but like, let them know if you're into them, let them know. And I think like we can extend that to the act of sex itself, right? Like yes. if you're, if you're finding something pleasurable that your partner is doing, tell them that as well, right? Be like that, that feels good. Or like that turns me on so much, right? Like claiming ownership for your arousal is something that I tell men to do all the time. Like a lot of times men will describe, like say they say, say a guy's seen a woman who he finds attractive. And again, I'm talking, you know, cishet men here. Um, a lot of guys will describe that experience as like, oh, she's so hot. All right. It's she, she turns me on. Right. And it's, the 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 onus is on the woman there right she he's kind of placed responsibility it's her fault that he's aroused right and so a lot of guys again don't take ownership or responsibility for their experience and so the, the reframe there and that simple analogy is instead of framing it as like oh she's so hot she's turned me on being like i feel so turned on when i see her right and so like that onus of responsibility then is now placed on him and um he's taking responsibility for that and so the, the same thing goes for for sex as well like that that feels really good for me like i really enjoy when you do that right um so it's like taking this responsibility like of your own pleasure and i know you were saying before that that um you know a tri that trifecta of responsibility that women have and and you know to, to speak from like um kind of the the, the male perspective of them you know a lot of what a lot of men think is that a lot of guys think that it's their responsibility to give their partner an orgasm as well. And so we've got, yes. you know, people thinking that it's their responsibility to give their partners orgasms when really the only responsibility that you have in sex is your own pleasure. That's your own, you know, your, your orgasm is your own responsibility. It's your own, you know, you're not, it's not your job to give your partner a, a, an orgasm. And when you have two partners really acknowledging that it's the only responsibility they have is just for themselves, then you can start to go, okay, you know, now I've got to talk to my partner about how they can help facilitate that for me, right? And so if you've got two people then you know, claiming ownership of their own arousal or their own pleasure of their own orgasm and then starting to openly communicate with one another, then you can help your partner have their orgasm, right? Rather than, rather than giving your partner an orgasm like you're giving them a Christmas present, that's not how it works, right? It doesn't come from you. They're the one having the experience. You're just helping them. Um, and hopefully they're telling you how you can help them. Um, that's the kind of way a sexual experience um, can be facilitated in, in a much more mutually pleasurable way um, as opposed to as opposed to thinking like oh god if i don't give my partner orgasm sex is going to be terrible which is what a lot of guys think um and so then they get in their head about like oh is this going to be good for her like what am i what if i do this wrong and it causes a lot of performance anxiety for a lot of men um so that's what i say to guys it's like no you're responsible for just your own pleasure she's responsible for her pleasure but you've got to help her feel responsible for that, right? So ask questions, you know, give her an opportunity to tell you what it is that she likes, right? You, you know, a lot of what, what guys don't realize is a lot of women don't actually feel very comfortable talking about what turns them on and asking for what they want, right? People in general don't feel comfortable asking for what they want and taking responsibility because it's a scary fucking thing to do, right? It's like we've kind of been talking about, it's a vulnerable thing to 
to say, hey, here's what turns me on. Can you please do that for me slash to me? Um, that's a that's a scary thing to do. And we don't like not only just in sex, but just in life. Like people don't do that in general, right? We we tend to like placate people and just like, be pleasant and be nice and and to you know minimize what it is that we actually want um, for a myriad of reasons. But um, but you know that gets ramped up in a sexual encounter because of all the extra layers of stigma that we have around sex and, and asking for pleasure. Uh, so like if you can create a space where your partner feels comfortable saying, hey, I actually really like this or asserting a boundary. I don't actually like that. Can we not do that? Um, and what a lot of guys have to do in order to create that space is take their ego out of it, right? Because a lot of guys think that it's their job to give their partner an orgasm or to give their partner pleasure. If their partner turns around and says, I actually don't like this particular thing or I like this particular thing. Can we try that? And you have never done that thing before to your partner. And you and you know, a lot of guys get onto the head and go, oh my God, I'm a terrible lover because I've never done that before. Or like, well, she doesn't like this thing. That's my move. <laughs> That's happened for a lot of guys. It's like, I've done this with every other woman. Why doesn't she like whatever? Right? They get all these stories. Guys take it very personally when they get feedback from, from their partners during sex. And which is unfortunate because, um, you know, what can happen is when you take something really personally, and maybe some women will, will relate to this, is um, is they'll, they'll, they will they'll can respond with, um, oh, well, then I won't do it, right? Or then I'll just take it away. And so, one, so that's another reason why a lot of women feel um, not so comfortable kind of saying, hey, this is what I like, or this is what I don't like, is because a lot of guys take it personally and go, well then, okay, when then it's not fucking have sex then, right? If that's not what, you know, if you don't like what I'm doing, then fucking fine. And and so they get nothing in the end. And so a lot of women will put up with tolerable sex because otherwise they'll get no sex from their male partner because they'll they'll have this knee jerk reaction and they'll they'll their ego will get bruised. Um, and so like you were saying, a lot of women will placate men's egos when it comes to sex um, because guys do a terrible job of you know bringing their ego into um, into the sexual experience and it and it being a thing that, that can ruin. So um so I, I talk to guys a lot about like just separating their ego from the way that they're showing up sexually, like creating a space where they can receive feedback, where they can also give feedback as well. And they can be like, hey, I, you know, I actually don't really particularly like doing this thing, or um, I really like doing this. This actually turns me on when I do this, you know, for to you, for you, um, ostensibly for you, but it's really for me, right? And that's where this wheel of consent framework from Betty Martin can be really useful. Um, but just having these open conversations where you're owning what it is that turns you on and you're also asserting like boundaries is, um, yeah, just like starting to have those conversations is, is really paramount to having a better sex life. Yes. Oh, Cam, like everything you just said is so, is so important. Like, I think everything you just said alone here, it, it really underscores why this work is so important because I teach an entire framework around uh, the four C's of connection. And the number one thing I always talk about is curiosity. We have mm -hmm. to bring curiosity into everything that we do because that's, that's how we learn about people. That's how we forge the connection. And the other thing is too, is that a lot of people can walk around either thinking that, I mean, it can go either way. You can think that you're like, like a, a really great lover or a not so great lover. Um, and, and I think that we have to change that conversation because what made you a great lover to one person will be completely different with a new partner and you need to still be able and willing. And this goes for men, for women, for anybody 
to, to cultivate that curiosity, to find out what your partner enjoys, what they're into, what they like, what you like, what you don't like, like it's going to look a little bit different with, with each individual. And even if you've been with the same person for a really long time, like continue to cultivate that curiosity, <laughs> like, because maybe you, what turned them on when they were 20 might be very different than what turned them on when they're 40. And I would imagine the same goes for you, right? Like as we continue to, to age, grow and evolve, our sexuality does the same. Yeah. Yeah. There's a really great way of thinking about sex, which is like, think of it as a jam session between musicians, right? Like you're, oh, I love that. like if you're, if you're coming to a jam session, you know, with other musicians or maybe just one other musician, you know, who knows how many people are going to be there. Um, but like, you've got to, you've got to know your own instrument, right? If you come to the, to that session, not knowing how to play your particular instrument, it's, you're not going to be able to contribute that much to the jam session, right? But then, you know, on top of that, you've got to have some familiarity with the instrument that your jam session partner is playing as well, right? And and sure, they might bring, you know, that you might have a jam session with one partner who has one type of guitar and then a jam session with another partner who, who has a, also has a guitar, but it's a different type of guitar, you know, this sounds a little bit different. You've got to tune into that. And so, like, and then you 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 play around, right? You have some music, you have some curiosity, you have a bit of fun. A jam sessions, you know, for the most part. I'm not a musician, so this I don't know if this analogy is <laughs> going to fall flat for me. But my partner's a musician, so hopefully I can draw enough from her experience. <laughs> like it's supposed to be fun, right? And I've sat in a, on a few of her jam sessions, and it and it, it's enjoyable. And there's laughter, and it's kind of like oh, like we're going to figure out each other for a little bit. You know, if it's the new person that you haven't jammed with before, you kind of like oh, okay, this is what their flow is. This is the type of music that they're into. Like oh, they they kind of they're they're very good at playing their instrument. Oh, I, I feel a little bit like out of my league right now. Or oh, I I don't think they're they're that great at playing. Or maybe I'll slow down a little bit to kind of you know, meet them where they're at with regards to their instruments and maybe, you know, can kind of like even guide them along a little bit and say like, Hey, come on, follow this rhythm, like, and, and, you know, be a bit more of a, a leader in that space. Um, but yeah, like bringing that kind of that music analogy and that jam session analogy. Um, and for the life of me, I can't remember who came up with that. There's a really well-known sex educator, but I, I, her name, her name, of course, slips my, my mind. Um, but, uh, but yeah, definitely, definitely resonate with that, uh, that analogy. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, and, and let's, so let's unpack a, a couple more myths. Let's pa- unpack another myth. And then I also really want to, before we um, wrap up today, I also want to make sure to get into like some performance issues and stuff too. And, and a lot of the anxiety that can come with that and, and cultivating um, safety for, for men in that way. But first I want to talk about uh, the whole idea of men, men hate foreplay and hate cuddling <laughs> because I, in your course, I, I loved this, this portion and I'm going to quote you here. You wrote, women said that this, so there was a Canadian study that, that you were looking into around this, about this whole idea that men hate foreplay. And you said that women, uh, not you, sorry, you were, you were just saying, you were quoting the study and, and that uh, women said they wanted an average of 19 minutes in foreplay and reported that they actually spent an average of 11 minutes engaging in foreplay. These women went on to say that they wanted 14 minutes of intercourse and it reported that they actually spent an average of seven minutes having intercourse. Then for the men... They said they want an average of 18 minutes in foreplay, reported that they actually spent 13 minutes engaging in foreplay. And they said that they wanted 19 minutes of intercourse and they actually spent eight minutes having intercourse. So the similar, the, the similarities there are that the duration of foreplay, both parties wanted about 18 to 19 minutes. And according to this study, men and women said that they actually valued foreplay equally. 
And I think that's going to blow people's minds because there, there are just all these myths that that's not a thing that, that, that whole, um, Madeline moon had a, a reel that she did that cracked me up where it was, it was having sex. Like it was, you know, it was supposed to be supposedly having sex. And then the man just like comes and then rolls over and goes to, goes to sleep. I'm pretty sure every heterosexual woman has experienced that. So unfortunately that's where some of these stereotypes come from. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're stereotypes for a reason, right? Because they come from lived experiences for yeah. the most part. Like, um, and, um, and so like, yeah, so that, that beautiful um, study, like it, it kind of highlights a, um, it highlights what, what, what we're kind of just saying, like people aren't talking about it, right? People aren't saying, I actually want 18 minutes, 19 minutes of foreplay, right? Like I actually want to spend more time. We're not having those conversations. We're just going into sex with a lot of these assumptions about what men want, about what women want, about what sex should look like, right? Um, and, and so when we do that, we, essentially we we get situations which are happening where um you know people are both people both parties are, are missing out on what it is that they actually want so um so yeah like there's this yeah this very common story that um that guys just want to go straight to penetration and one of the reasons why i think guys perpetuate that themselves is because that's the goal of sex right a lot of guys are trying to get to penetration that's like the um that's the, the quote unquote reason that they're trying to be sexual is, is to get there and to, to get to an ejaculation. Um, and so, uh, so I do work with men around like just taking the goal out of sex and being like, okay, well, what feels, could the goal just be pleasure for pleasure's sake? Like what actually feels pleasurable? And that could be a whole bunch of other things as opposed to just penetration. Um, and it also, you know, there's work there around like, what is your definition of sex as well? A lot of people think that sex doesn't quote unquote count if there's no penetration involved. Um, and so they're almost like eager to get to the penetration in order, in order for the sex to, 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 to count as real sex. Um, and so there's a story there to unpack is like what your definition is. Uh, but then also like, I talked to a lot of men about the way that they masturbate and the, for the most part, what they described to me is going, is, is like a quick, they're quick to arouse, they're like quick arousal, quick erection, and they go straight for their genitals, they go straight for like stroking their penis, right? They, 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 that's their first point of contact with their body. Um, and so, uh, and this is like a big, um, this is my personal philosophy. And this is like something that I, I'm, I kind of build a lot of my platform on, which is the way that you masturbate is the way that you have sex. And so the way that a lot of guys are masturbating, which is going straight for their cock, they transpose that then onto like the way that they have sex, which is going straight for penetration, right? They go straight for their genitals when they touching themselves. So they go straight for inserting their genitals into their partner's genitals when they're having sex with their partner. It's like very direct. And, um, and so a big learning for a lot of men is to not start at their genitals, right? Is to kind of foreplay with themselves before they start to foreplay with their partner. Because if they don't feel comfortable having the rest of their body touched and including their whole body, right? comes back to my first thing that I was saying, which is pleasure. They don't feel comfortable exploring pleasure. They're only comfortable with just like just gratification. Then it becomes this um, thing that they do just with their partner. They go straight for penetration with their partner. Um, and then I, I've spoken to a lot of women the way they masturbate as well. And there is a very common experience that women share with me that they don't start straight at their genitals, that they don't go straight for, a lot of women don't 
penetrate themselves when they're masturbating as well. Um, so, so, so I share that with the guys that I work with and say, hey, there's a discrepancy here where when you're having sex, a lot of guys are going straight for their partner's genitals because that's what they do by themselves. And then a lot of women don't start at their male partner's genitals because that's not what they do with themselves. They start maybe around his face or around his chest and around the shoulders and the neck or wherever it might be. Um, and we get this, again, because no one's talking about it, we get this miscommunication where women are going, whoa, whoa, slow down. Like, I'm not ready for penetration just yet. And guys are going, what are you fucking doing? My cock's right here. And we, so we have this like, you know, um, this, again, like this miscommunication, this misalignment. And so what I, and so what I encourage for, for men, the men that I work with is firstly to feel comfortable exploring the remainder of your body, not going straight for your genitals, but also when you're, when you're engaging sexually with your partner, instead of thinking about touching your partner, the way that you touch yourselves, touch your partner, the way that she touches herself. Right. So there's a lot of like a really practical way of learning about that. It's just like watch your partner masturbate pretty much. Just like do some mutual masturbation and just learn about the way that your partner likes to be touched by themselves. Um, and so like the, the golden rule, right, which is, you know, I think it's a, it's a biblical thing where you, you treat others the way that you wish to be treated is a terrible piece of advice when it comes to sex. Right. <laughs> so you, you want to treat your partner the way that they like to be treated, right? You want to touch your partner the way that they like to be touched, not the way that you like to be touched. Um, and so the advice that I give to, to women as well is, um, you know, if a guy hasn't done a lot of work on his sexuality, doesn't really feel comfortable exploring his whole body, and something that you can do in order to help create that space for him to feel comfortable doing that is start at his cock, right? Start at his genitals and then work your way out from there. And mm. for, for guys, a general rule of thumb is, work your way from the peripheries towards your partner's genitals. Um, and, and so that, so, you know, a piece of advice for women there is like build his arousal, build his erection, build his, um, you know, sense of connection to his, his genitals first and start there. And then once that's, once that ball is rolling, then you can use that to then incorporate the rest of his body because he's already in that aroused space. And a lot of guys feel more comfortable I mean, people in general, but but men um, I found in particular feel more comfortable exploring pleasure in the rest of their body when they've already kind of got the ball rolling, you know, with their genitals happening. So, um, yeah, that's a that's a little piece of advice for women if they're feeling like they they want to do that for their partners. That's that's amazing advice, like for both for both parties. And and I want to be mindful of the time too, but we can't do this episode without talking about. Uh, I I really want to get into just a few things about. Like, first of all, loving on a flaccid penis, because that's a really big issue for a lot of men. You and I were also talking before we jumped on about um, creating a safe space for, for men in a variety of ways. But one of the ways also involving if he's having difficulty uh, having an orgasm as well. Um, I'm going to let you take the lead on that. Like sort of what whatever kind of area you think is is sort of the biggest, um, the biggest things that, that you hear from people the most often that will be the most important. I'm gonna let, let you take the lead on that. Oh, cool. um, I recognize I've been ranting a little bit, so I'll try and dial this in. Um, no, I love it. Everything you're saying <laughs> is pure gold. So <laughs> so we, uh, we have this, uh, this, what I call the fear of the flaccid penis in, in our society, right? No one really seems to know what to do with a little windsock between the legs of a, of a guy, right? So. Um, and that's a little, uh, I say that in jest, but the, the, um, this, you know, the, the nerves in a penis don't change when 
a penis goes from flaccid to erect. You don't get any more nerve endings in an erect penis. Yeah, you get more engorgement, sure, but you don't get any more nerve endings. So a flaccid penis can feel the exact same amount of pleasure as a, an erect penis can, right? You don't grow new nerves. Uh, so, um, so that's the first like piece of information. The second piece of information is like, you know, we're wrapped up in this idea that in order to be sexual, you need to have an erection as well, right? Like we, we see it in porn, we see it in, in movies, like it's just perpetuated this idea that like you need to have an erect penis in order to be sexual. And also beyond that as well, there's this idea that if he doesn't have an erection, it means he's not turned on, it means he's not aroused. And that's not true either. There's this thing called arousal non-concordance, which is this idea that you can be subjectively psychologically aroused, but your body just hasn't caught up yet. And so, you know, you might not show the physical signs of arousal and vice versa. You might be physically aroused and you might have an erection, but you're not actually turned on. You're not actually psychologically aroused, subjectively aroused. And this is a trigger warning, content warning um, for sexual assault. There is a, um, an experience that male um, survivors slash victims of sexual assault experience, which is where their, their body has an erection and maybe even their body ejaculates when they're being sexually assaulted. Of course, they didn't consent to it. It's not arousing for them, but their body had a physiological reaction to the stimulation being aroused. Um, and they feel really betrayed by their body, right? So that's a, that's a very extreme example of there being a disconnection or you know, arousal non-concordance where there's no concordance between subjective and physical arousal. Um, and so that leads into a whole other area of male sexuality, this idea that men can't be sexually assaulted or can't be raped because of the fact that their body had a physical response. Um, so very similar to, to women, for example, that, that have an orgasm from being sexually assaulted or, or that have vaginal lubrication and stuff. It's this feeling of betrayal. Um, but that, that's, like I said, an extreme example of arousal non-concordance. And that goes both ways. Um, so that's a story we need to be mindful of as well. It's like the erection isn't necessarily an indicator of how turned on he is or how interested he is in you as well. Like there's a story that a lot of women have about male erections and penises that if he doesn't have an erection, it means he's not turned on by her, that she's not hot enough, that she's not doing the right thing. And so that can bring up some self-worth stuff. So lots of stories there to just unpack and unravel all because of this flaccid penis, right? So because of this fear that we have of this flaccid penis. Um, so that's the first that's the first um, thing to speak into that. The um, other um, the other second part of that question was, oh yeah, so if a guy doesn't finish, right? If a guy doesn't ejaculate, maybe he's, like I've, I've experienced this in my own life. If I um, you know reflect back on the times where I was drinking quite a lot, some guys who are quite drunk, um, the, the slang term is um, whiskey dick or brewer's droop, or um, if you wanna go you know, scientific about it, it's alcohol induced impotence where a guy literally can't, can't finish. Just the, the alcohol is inhibited as sexual arousal and just can't get to that point. And so that might be an experience that some people have, have had. And often um, what I speak about is the um, unspoken symbolism of ejaculation. Like what does ejaculation symbolize for couples? And for the most part, ejaculation tends to symbolize, as I was saying you know, at the beginning of this podcast, a man's experience of pleasure, right? Like, or, or a man's experience of um, orgasm, you know? And, and so if he doesn't ejaculate, he didn't enjoy it, right? If he doesn't ejaculate, then, you know, he didn't have a good time. Or if he did ejaculate, he did enjoy it and it was pleasurable for him, right? We, we've conflated those two things. Um, and so if, for example, he's having really 
a lot of trouble, you know, climaxing. And this is a very understudied area of male sexuality. It's, it's the most understudied area of male sexuality. We're still not 100 100% sure from like a sexual research point of view, why men are having issues orgasming and finishing um, this multi varied factors. But um, what we can kind of talk about is like, well, you know, is, is the stories that kind of come up. So if a guy struggles to finish, like a story that can come up for women um, is like, oh, he didn't, he's not enjoying the sex that he's having with me, or um, he's uh, not turned on by me. Or I'm not, I'm not hot enough. Again, that brings up some self-worth issues as well. Um, what's wrong with me? A lot of guys feel similar if they can't finish because it's not, that's not quote unquote normal, right? They should be able to finish is what's wrong with me. Am I not something, something yeah, I'm, I'm broken, right? Um, but then we can start to not only have that story, but then we have the the opposite story, which is like, oh, she's not hot enough. Well, it must just be her. It's not my problem. I can't ejaculate. It's it's her problem for not doing this thing or for not whatever, right? And so we we tend to blame. And she might be doing the same thing. She might be like, no, I'm I'm hot. I'm sexy. What the fuck's this guy's problem? Why can't he get it up? Why can't he? You know. And so and then we begin to blame and shame. Um, so it can bring up a lot of like stuff. And so something that I encourage couples to do actually is um, experiment with not ejaculating and not orgasming even. So like intentionally with your partner, make a decision to be sexual, right? To have sex, regardless of what that sex looks like, but to, to consciously and intentionally not orgasm or to not ejaculate. So, you know, do all the things sexually, just be mindful of not building up to that point where you're going to climax and notice what comes up. Like you can really intentionally bring those stories up in order for you to unpack them and work through them. You know, when does sex finish? If he doesn't come, when do we, when, when does he roll over and go to sleep, right? <laughs> to, to, to use that stereotype. Um, so yeah, this, so, you know, this idea that like, you know, ejaculation is the, the pinnacle of the, not only his sexual experience, but also the sex act as well. Like ejaculation often signifies or, or symbolizes the end of sex, right? For a lot of couples and that that doesn't have to be the case either right like there's so much that you can do after an ejaculation that um that again doesn't involve a penis might involve his fingers uh mouth toy feet whatever other part of the body that really turns you on um you can do all that after an ejaculation and and usually throughout 15 20 minutes that refractory period where he you know struggles to get an erection again right that's just kind of how the male body works that second direction that he gets and that second you know, wind of arousal, it would usually last a little bit longer. So that's a very simple strategy for guys if they want to learn how to last longer is just like, just go through that first ejaculation. And then the next time, typically it will last a little bit longer that, that second time around for that, that second, um, that second go. Uh, but there's, yeah, I mean, there's so much like this, like, again, there's so much shooting, like sex should finish when he comes. That's just like what we see, right? We see it in porn, the money shot, boom, and roll credits, right? That, you know, it's, it's very much, you know, caked into our idea of what sex looks like. Um, and so I yeah, it, it tell couples to experiment with like not ejaculating or not orgasming. And then I also tell them to experiment with like, okay, ejaculations happened, experiment with like all the aftercare, all that beautiful afterglow, all that's like, you know, time after he's ejaculated where a lot of guys feel quite soft and quite vulnerable after they've come as well. So like um, that to speak about it energetically, it's a very yin space for a lot of guys. They go from very yang, which is like a lot of heat, a lot of arousal, a lot of penetration, a lot of fire to then ejaculating. And a lot of women will probably notice this is like, he'll really like soften and he'll really like let go. Um, and it's quite a watery space. It's quite a yin space. 
Um, and so it can be a really beautiful time to connect and, and get a lot of cuddles and eat some chocolate and, and to be really sensual and, and really intimate, and really you know, connected. Um, and then that might shift again after 15, 20 minutes and that yang kind of might start coming back and there might be that little fire coming back. And, and so it can be a really fun space to play around with. Um, but yeah, perpetuating this idea that sex finishes when he's come is like, like again, it's, it's placing the, the um, emphasis on his experience as opposed to the couple's experience as well. Same thing with erection. If sex can't happen because he doesn't have an erection, again, you're placing the emphasis on his you know, sexuality, on male sexuality and making that the focal point of the sexual experience, right? Um, and this is called phallocentrism for, you know, for people that are interested. Um, so like just disentangling that story around sex can be really powerful as well for, for couples. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just was ranting again. So hopefully that answered some of the question. So helpful. So helpful. And there's so many more things I'd love to, we may have to do a part two, Cam. Are you open to that? <laughs> I definitely am. Yeah. yeah I'm just being, there's yeah, so much just more to talk about. Head, so, sure. Yes. Oh my gosh. No, I think we may need to do a part two. Um, so right before we, we wrap up, is there like one thing that you want either women to know about men or, or is there one sort of statement that, that we haven't touched on yet that like you really want to, to make sure you kind of get out there? Um, I mean, I really like what you said about curiosity. So like, be just be curious about, and this goes for, for everyone, but like definitely for women about men and male sexuality, be curious about his sexuality and, and about his expression and experience of it. Right. So challenge those assumptions and that you have and, and those stereotypes that you might have about male sexuality. Cause a lot of them are myths. A lot of them aren't actually true. They're just perpetuated by the media that we watch or by the stories that our friends tell us or by, you know, by men themselves perpetuating them because they don't know any better. So being curious about like all the, all the different parts of male sexuality, it's not only going to make you understand him, your, your partner better, but it's also going to make collectively your relationship and your sex life better as well. And, and I mean, I say the same thing to the men that I work with. This is just exclusive for, for women. Like a lot of guys need to be curious about their male part, uh, their partners and, and their, their own sexuality. But, um, but yeah, just start to ask questions, be curious. Um, and yeah, and just challenge, challenge those assumptions, challenge those stereotypes. Beautiful. Yeah. So Cam, tell us where, where we can find you and connect with you. And you have two incredible courses as well. I have taken uh, one of them, the one that is more directed for women and I can absolutely attest to how fantastic oh, it is. You. So that's <laughs> lovely. Yeah. I am. Um, I can, uh, well, I, I have my, my social media, so I'm at the Cam Fraser on all social media uh, sites. Um, I try and educate as much as possible online. I just try and do as much free educating as possible. So um, my guarantee is that if you jump onto my social media, you'll learn something new. That's my um, little tagline. And then um, I have a website, which is cam-fraser.com. And yeah, I've got those two courses, Outperform a Porn Star, which is for my male audience and um, Man Myths, which is for my female audience. Uh, and then I've also got a podcast as well, my own podcast, which I always forget to plug, but um, I'm glad I remembered it, which is called Men, Sex and Pleasure, where we have very similar conversations to this. So maybe you can come on to my podcast. We can have, uh, you know, 2.1 2. on uh, my podcast. I would love that. Let's do it. Let's do it. That would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Cam, thank you so much for your time, for your energy, and just for all of your incredible knowledge, I think is so needed. And I can't wait to chat with you again. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Um, and thank you for, yeah, for inviting me on and for using your platform to have a conversation like oh, this. Oh, thank you. <laughs>
Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. It means the absolute world to me, and I'm so grateful. For any references in the episode and all show notes, be sure to jump over to roomtogrowpodcast.com. And if this episode touched your heart, it would mean so much if you would take a quick second to hit subscribe, write a review, and share on social media or with someone who really needs to hear today's message. It makes such a difference to keep this podcast going so I can continue to bring you amazing content and absolutely incredible guests. Be sure to tag me over on Instagram at Emily Goff Coach so that I can thank you in real time for listening and connect with you. We're back every Tuesday and Thursday with new episodes and I'm looking forward to growing with you.